Uh, so here is God's word in uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 6. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? but you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, good morning, friends. Uh, wonderful to see you online this morning. Uh, my name is Huey. If uh, this is the first time you're joining us, and if it is, uh, wonderful to uh, see you online uh, with us. Uh, well done, Ash Bardi, by the way. Um, uh, tremendous victory overnight. Um, hands up if you stayed up uh, all night to watch it. Oh, some of us. Um, I think I'm going to have to pray for you in particular uh, this morning because uh, you're probably tired um, from from uh, watching the match. But um, uh, here we are again. Uh, we're in uh, lockdown still. And uh, my guess is that, uh, you know, for some of us, um, we're, we're handling things okay, um, whereas others of us uh, are perhaps anxious or uh, lonely um, or, or frustrated at uh, just being cooped up uh, like this. Um, you know, um, especially parents who are facing the prospect of um, remote learning for their kids this week, um, those who had jobs affected in, in some way, um, those who are living alone and, and so forth. So I thought it might be good this morning for me to read um, a part of scripture um, that encourages us not to be uh, anxious about our lives uh, because God is in control um, as a way of uh, preparing our hearts to listen to God's word this morning. So uh, will you join with, uh, I'll read the passage first and then uh, will you join with me as I pray. Um, the passage uh, comes from Philippians, and uh, God says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Uh, let me lead us in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that despite lockdown, we are living in an age where we can interact with one another online like this uh, despite the pandemic 
Uh, but we come to you, Father, this morning with all our anxieties and uh, perhaps loneliness or frustrations, asking that you would comfort us and asking that you would be with us by your spirit and that you would give us ways forward uh, in living our Christian lives. Now, Father, we do pray that you would be merciful uh, to our world, uh, to our state and to our city in reducing the spread of coronavirus so that life might return to normal soon. Now, we pray especially for those who are in ICU at the moment uh, that uh, these lives might not be lost and that uh, people might make a full recovery. Uh, but Father, we do pray that as we come before your word this morning, that you would use passages like today's, uh, which might seem miles away from our present situation, to nevertheless teach us, uh, rebuke us and correct us, train us uh, in righteousness uh, in ways that will lead us to eternal life. And that uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, listen to these words. Uh, I don't want to judge anyone. I don't want to put my hate out there. Um, these are the words of Gary. Uh, Gary was being interviewed about a tragic incident in America where a man um, made his way into a high school uh, shooting two people dead and injuring many others, including Gary himself. Uh, they are astonishing words, aren't they? I don't want to judge anyone. I don't want to put my hate out there. But uh, these words raise the question of whether Gary would have been hateful if he had said something hurtful to the perpetrator of the murder. Would it have been possible for Gary to evaluate and to judge the other man's actions in a way that is good and right? Uh, friends, I, I think we uh, now live in a world where one of the worst crimes that a person can commit has become judging other people. Uh, do you think that's true? Uh, one commentator says that the most popular verse in the Bible is now no longer John 3.16, which says, God so loved the, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, but it's actually now Matthew 7 verse 1, which says, judge not that you not be judged. Now, uh, don't get me wrong. The Bible does teach the wrongness of judgmentalism, which is about being quick to uh, make judgments about others and having a condemning attitude towards others. But the idea of not being judgmental in our world has now become a mandate not to even say something uh, and, and make judgments about what is good and what is evil. Now, the tragedy, of course, is that this kind of thinking has infiltrated the church. Uh, I mean, how many of us have observed ongoing sinful behavior, perhaps in uh, other people at church, and have not said anything because, well, we've thought it's not really my place to judge them or I don't want to be judgmental towards anyone. I'm sure we've all thought like this before. 
And so I want to suggest that what God says in our passage this morning is very, very important for us to listen to because 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is all about making correct judgments. In fact, Paul says in verse 5 that his intention here is to shame uh, the Corinthian church who are not making right judgments um, so that they might change their ways. Uh, we are people who can make right judgments about what is good and what is evil in this world. Uh, now, what is the specific thing that Paul addresses in this passage? Well, uh, you can see that uh, it's the problem of Christian brothers and sisters taking one another to court. Uh, to settle disputes uh, among them. Um, now, uh, Mike um, gave us the example of uh, Addie and Lincoln, but uh, imagine a situation where uh, perhaps in our, in our church uh, setting or the adult church setting, Mike and Matt Palani decide to go into business together. Uh, let's say it's a, it's a cake-baking business. Uh, they call their business M&M Bakery, and they begin to uh, produce uh, world-class baked goods. But then one day, um, Matt, with all his accounting skills, finds that uh, Mike has been embezzling some of the company funds. And so he confronts Mike, who you know, vehemently uh, uh, denies such wrongdoing, uh, but Matt has collected enough evidence to, to be able to prove that he actually did do it. And so he decides to give his lawyers a call and uh, take Mike to court. Uh, it's that kind of situation that uh, the Apostle Paul is addressing here. And Paul's point is that instead of taking the matter to uh, the secular courts, what Matt should really have taken the matter to the church itself to help resolve the dispute, uh, perhaps to the church leaders or those who are wise uh, in the church. Now you can see it there in verse 1, can't you? Uh, if you have your Bibles there, have a look with me at, at verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or come down with me to verse 4. Uh, if you have such cases, why do you lay them uh, before those who have no standing in the church. Or come to, to verse 6, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? You see, friends, the point is that the church should have been able to judge and resolve these kinds of disputes rather than Christians airing their dirty laundry before the secular judges who have no knowledge of God. And notice that Paul with all the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, feels very strongly about this matter. How dare you, he says. Uh, now, friends, uh, I just want to make a, a couple of very important clarifications here. Uh, firstly, notice that these lawsuits that were happening in Corinth uh, were of a civil nature. Uh, in verse 2, uh, Paul calls these cases trivial matters. Uh, in verse 3, he calls them matters pertaining to this life. In verse 7, um, he seems to uh, speak about uh, 
Christians defrauding one another. And so it seems like the disputes in the church were over uh, money or financial type of matters. In other words, Paul is not here speaking about criminal matters, and he is not telling the church to sort of hush up criminal activity uh, in the church. And so, friends, uh, if you know of any criminal behavior uh, in the church, and uh, in a church of our size, uh, that is not necessarily out of the question. I want to say it is right and proper to go to the law, which itself has been put in place by God to restrain evildoers. Or if you are experiencing, even at present, or have experienced criminal abuse, either of a domestic or sexual nature, at the hands of somebody who, who claims to be a Christian person, uh, there may be a time when it is right and proper to take these matters, uh, perhaps with the help of a trusted and wise friend, uh, to the police uh, or to the law itself. Secondly, notice that the situation um, Paul addresses here is a dispute among Christian people. And so I just want to say that uh, sometimes Christians will find themselves in conflict with uh, non-Christian people. Uh, whether it's of uh, a business-related matter or something of that nature. And so um, uh, this passage is not addressing that sort of situation. And um, in, in those sort of cases, uh, it, it, it's not uh, necessarily wrong uh, to have disputes addressed through the secular courts. But uh, we have to ask, don't we, why does Paul so vehemently uh, speak against Christians taking other Christians to court. Well, you can see there that it's because the Corinthian church ought to have known some very important things. Uh, in verse 2, notice he says, or do you not know such and such? Uh, again, in verse 3, do you not know? And again, in verse 9, or do you not know? Uh, he repeats this phrase over and over again, doesn't he? Uh, what is it that the Corinthian Christians ought to have known? Uh, well, the first thing you can see there is that they should have known that as Christians, they were the future judges of this world. Uh, in verse 2, Paul says that on the last day, Christians will participate in some way with the Lord Jesus Christ himself in judging the evil in this world. That's an extraordinary thought, isn't it? That you and I will one day stand with the Lord Jesus Christ to judge the world itself. In verse 3, Paul says that uh, the Corinthian Christians are the ones who will judge even the evil angels who belong to Satan himself. And so Paul's point is that if you are, if you Christians are going to be the ones who will judge the world in righteousness and truth, then why on earth would you take your dirty dirty laundry before the ones who will one day be judged by you, you see? It's a bit like two high court judges in Australia uh, who have a bit of an issue with one another. Um, you know, imagine one of them crashes his BMW into the other one's Mercedes-Benz, 
and he's not owning up to, to pay the damages. But wouldn't it be strange if after a long day um, sitting on the high court bench, uh, the two of them uh, walk out of court and they go to Long Bay Jail and they ask to see uh, one of the prisoners who they had put away some years ago and they take off their wigs before this man and they ask this prisoner to decide on um, you know, how to resolve their, their little dispute. I mean, can you imagine something like that? It doesn't make any sense, does it? But that's precisely what is happening in the Corinthian church. They should have been the ones who were wise enough to settle the matter internally rather than going to the unrighteous. It's not that the unrighteous are incompetent. It's more that the, Christ the Corinthians have lost sight of who they will be in the future as the judges of this world. Now, the second thing the Corinthian church ought to have known is that if one of them takes uh, another to court, well, they all become losers. You can see it there in verse 7, can't you? Verse 7, Paul says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. It's a, it's a strange thing to say uh, because in a court battle, there is usually a winner and a loser, isn't there? But here, Paul says that when such things happen, well, actually, the whole church loses. Now, why is that the case? Well, it's because when Christians take one another to court, uh, it actually does considerable damage to uh, the family name and the cause of the gospel itself. You know, it's a bit like a family who squabble over uh, inheritance money through the, the secular courts. Uh, someone in the end might get the family jewels while others miss out on the riches. But in the end, it's actually a loss for everyone in the family who are now not only at odds with one another, but have dragged the family name through the mud. You know, when scandal within the church breaks out into the open, uh, it's always damaging to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? Uh, whether it's matters that reveal, uh, whenever matters that reveal the sin of Christian people uh, go, go to court, well, the media are, are usually all over it, waiting to denounce Christianity, and it does real and lasting damage to the cause of the gospel. Uh, whether it's the sexual or financial scandals of um, well-known televangelists or ministers, or whether it's the bad behavior of Christians in general that gets out into the open, it is always a defeat for the gospel cause, you see. And so Paul says that taking your Christian brothers and sisters to court is actually a loss for everyone in the family of God. But the final thing that the Corinthian Christians should have known in order to prevent such lawsuits from arising is that as Christians, they were the ones who are destined for glory. Uh, now, you can see there in verse 9 that Paul begins by speaking about 
those who are not destined for glory and will not inherit the kingdom of God. And notice he mentions uh, 10 kinds of people here. Uh, he mentions firstly the, sexual, the sexually immoral, who are the ones who have intercourse with others outside of marriage, the idolaters who worship people or things above God, the adulterers who are unfaithful to their spouse, those who practice homosexual, uh, homosexuality, who are the ones who uh, act on their homosexual desires and practice these things, the thieves who are the ones who steal either in brazen ways or in more um, white-collar ways, let's, let's say, the greedy who hoard their money and possessions for themselves rather than being generous towards God and neighbour, the drunkards or alcoholics who lose self-control, the revilers who use profanity and abusive language, the swindlers who deceive others in their businesses or by lying on their tax returns. Who are these people? Uh, well, I just want to be crystal clear, friends, that uh, this is not talking about um, Christian people who are struggling with sin. Um, if you are a Christian person, then I take it that you and I are people who know um, just how hard it is to defeat sin in our lives. Now, for many of us, there are certain sins that we keep uh, falling to uh, time and time again. And it grieves us because God has changed our hearts so that we hate the sin that we see in us. And so we repent each time we fall and uh, we, we make progress as we continue to do this, even though um, uh, many times it might seem painfully slow. But what we will find, uh, but, but in many ways, uh, this kind of fight will be something that will stay with us for the rest of our lives. But what Paul is talking about here is not that sort of situation, but he's talking about the unrepentant sinner. He's talking about those who do not grieve over their own sin and who have no serious intention to repent of their sin. They are the kind of people who are deceived into thinking, uh, I can continue to live this way and still be okay with God on the last day. But make no mistake, friends, God's word says that those who have this kind of defiant attitude toward God will not inherit the kingdom of God. And yet here's the thing. Paul says that Christians in Corinth are different, for they are the ones who will inherit the kingdom of God. It's an astonishing thing to say, given all uh, that we know about uh, what these Christians in Corinth were really like. In fact, I think verse 11, which describes this contrast uh, between the Corinthian church and the unrighteous, is one of the most wonderful verses in, in the entire Bible. And listen to what uh, Paul says uh, in, in this verse. He says, 
But such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Wonderful verses, aren't they? Um, I was reminded this week as I uh, watched England playing soccer uh, in the Euros of a very famous time when England won the World Cup in 1966. Uh, if you see the footage, you can see the English captain, uh, Bobby Moore, there he is there, uh, climbing the steps at Wembley Stadium to receive the trophy from the Queen herself. Uh, but as he approaches uh, the, the Queen, uh, you can actually see him uh, furiously trying to wipe the mud off his hands. Uh, later on, a reporter said to him, uh, it must have been a wonderful experience to lift the cup in front of the home crowd. But you know what Bobby Moore said? He said, no, it was actually terrifying. As I went up the steps, I saw that the Queen had on some beautiful white gloves. My hands were filthy with the Wembley mud. And I thought to myself, I can't shake hands with the Queen like this. You see, friends, that's the problem that we all face before God, isn't it? Now, our sin makes us dirty before the holy and righteous God who cannot look upon sin so that we are not fit to be in his presence. But what this passage tells us is that those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus are the ones who have been washed clean of their sin by the blood of Jesus. They are the ones who have been made sanctified or set apart for God. They are the ones who have been justified or declared right with God so that it's just as though they have never sinned. Notice that this is all past tense. You were washed, says Paul. You were sanctified. You were justified. Not you will be washed. You will be sanctified or you will be justified when you sort of sort yourself out and uh, start living, you know, a, a holy kind of life. But if you have put your trust in Jesus, then God has washed you already. He has sanctified you. He has justified you so that you will be right before him on that last day of judgment. You see, the good news of the scriptures is that when you put your trust in Jesus, he washes you completely of sin. And he takes you from being somebody who is destined for destruction to somebody who is destined for the kingdom of God itself. So friends, here's where the rubber meets the road. For I want you to see very clearly that Paul says, those who are destined for glory will be the ones who should be willing to suffer loss even now. And so in the case of a Christian person being wronged by another Christian person in the church, Paul says that uh, if you are somebody who is destined for glory, then you should be somebody who is willing to suffer loss for the sake of the gospel. 
and for the sake of the family name. Uh, you can see it there in verse 7, can't you, where Paul says, why not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. You see what Paul is saying here? Now, Paul has been saying that such matters ought to be resolved within the church. But he's saying that if the matter cannot even be resolved in the church, then it is much better for the person who has been wronged to suffer loss than to take it to the secular courts. Uh, now, brothers and sisters, I, I just want us to feel the weight of what Paul is saying here. Uh, will Matt, for example, be willing to suffer uh, significant financial loss of the money that Mike has embezzled? Or would you and I be prepared to suffer significant loss or injustice or injury because we know that we are the ones who are destined for glory where one day those things will be reversed? But that is what Paul is calling for here, isn't it? And why does he do that? Well, it's because Christians are the ones who follow this pattern of suffering now for the sake of glory later. And that, my friends, is the way of the Lord Jesus, isn't it? For he is our supreme example of the one who was willing to suffer loss now for the sake of future glory. Uh, the pattern of loss now for future glory is what it looks like to be Christ-like in our lives. It might not be the loss that comes from this kind of legal dispute. Uh, for many of us, it might be the loss of money as we give to eternal causes or the loss of time and energy and comfort as we serve Jesus in our lives. But it, are you and I the kind of people who follow this pattern? a willingness to suffer loss now for the sake of future glory. Okay, let me finish up. Now, this morning we've seen a passage in God's word about lawsuits among believers. And uh, whilst such things do happen in church from time to time, and uh, even in my short time at church, I've seen this sort of thing happen, well, you might be wondering, uh, how does this passage speak to my life now? Well, uh, if you are a careful reader of the Bible, you may have noticed that this passage of, about lawsuits among believers is actually wedged right in the middle of two passages that speak about sexual immorality and other sin in the church. Uh, last week's passage in chapter 5 was about the sexually immoral man sleeping with his stepmother. Uh, next week's passage at the end of chapter 6 is about Christians in Corinth visiting prostitutes. And right in the middle, just like, you know, the, the jam in the middle of a donut, is this passage on lawsuits among believers. Now, why is this the case? Why does Paul place this passage here? Well, it's because uh, what our passage this morning teaches is really the key to unlocking the problem of uh, certainly sexually immoral sin 
but sin in general in the church. Uh, what is the key? Well, it is for the church to make right and good judgments about what is good and what is evil. It is to encourage what is good amongst us. And it is to confront what is evil amongst us in the hope of repentance so that we might grow as the sanctified people of God. You know, friends, I'm well aware that many of us are feeling uh, stressed or anxious or uh, lonely or frustrated because of the extended lockdown that we are experiencing at the moment. And certainly my encouragement is for us to uh, love and support and care for one another as best as we can uh, in this particular situation. But I just want to remind us from God's word that our greatest problem is not the coronavirus, nor is it the problems associated with coronavirus. It is actually the problem of sin. For unrepentant sin will keep someone out of the kingdom of God. Whereas those who have been washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be the ones who take sin seriously, judging what is good and what is evil, because God has revealed what is good and what is uh, evil to us. And this is a word we need to hear because I reckon that the temptation to sin, whether it is of a sexual nature or greed or violence, or whatever it is, is even greater during a period of lockdown when we are cooped up with others in our family, when we are out of the sight of, of uh, other people in our lives, and we are feeling frustrated and anxious and uncertain about life. Is that true in your experience, that the temptation to sin is often greater in times like this? And so the challenge for us is, will we heed the word of God today? Will we make right judgments about what is good and what is evil in our lives as well as in our church family because we are the washed, sanctified and justified people of God? Let me lead us in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us this morning. We thank you in particular that in Christ we have been washed of our sin, sanctified and made holy and justified, uh, declared right before you because of what he has done for us uh, on the cross. Uh, we thank you that uh, our Lord Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so, Father, as those who have been saved from sin and death and judgment, uh, we ask that you would please help us to take sin seriously in our lives. Now, please continue to grow, uh, to grow us and to grow in our hearts a hatred of sin and rebellious attitudes toward you. Now, if there are certain sins we are struggling with at the moment, uh, we ask for your forgiveness and the grace to put these things to death 
in our lives. Help us not to become desensitized to sin so that we think it doesn't matter. But help us to make right judgments about our sin, not only in our own lives, but within the life of our church family. Please help us to be the people who confront sin in the church in wise and loving ways that seek restoration and the preservation of the reputation of our Lord Jesus Christ in this world. For we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.